Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. It's been a busy day here at Blue White Illustrated. So much information coming out. Jim Diono chooses Penn State earlier today in Dundalk, Maryland at Dundalk, Dundalk High School. We've covered that in a lot of different videos, which you can check out here on the YouTube channel. We are bringing you that information, but we're going to look a little bit wider and look at some other things today. Mailbag episode, as always, here on the show and we're going to get to a wrestling preview ohio state and indiana coming up so greg pickle is joining me for all of that on the bwi daily edition greg happy national signing day to you how have you spent the holiday but for penn state it will take what uh, the Nittany Lions, uh, you know, what Nittany Lions fans will uh, certainly enjoy what happened today, obviously, with Jim Neono picking Penn State. So not quite the big, expressive day that it used to be. That, of course, now takes place in December. But you take wins whether you can get them on the first signing day or the second one. And Penn State will certainly take what it got out of today. Yeah. Um, your quick thoughts on Jim Diono. We've talked about it here on I've said my piece on our breaking news. I have uh, the the film study up blue at illustrated.com. We talked about him all week, honestly, but uh, you wanted to give you any uh, initial thoughts, anything you wanted to talk about uh, with what happened today. Yeah, I would just say impressive work by Penn state to find a guy that has shot up through the rankings between the last, uh, I would say the end of November, start of December. And now of course, formerly an old dominion commit as everyone listening knows uh, had three finalists, Michigan state, Ole Miss and Rutgers saw the Scarlet Knights in December, Penn state able to make a push to make sure he did not sign with the big 10 East foe 
Then he goes and visits Ole Miss and Michigan State. So it's not as if Penn State was without competition in this one, T. Frank, for a player that, again, went from unranked by most services and a three-star at best to a four-star guy inside the top 250 pretty much across the board. So really impressive work by Phil Troutwine to answer and need that James Franklin said Penn State had at his first signing day news conference in terms of trying to get another offensive lineman in this class. So Good work, and it gives you a flashback to Vega Ioni, who obviously yeah. um, Penn State went out and got late in the last signing uh, day uh, cycle, if you will, uh, and that seemingly is working out very well. So I'm not sure if if uh, Ono is quite as far along at this point as Vega was when he came out of high school, but certainly there's a ton to work with there. We'll learn more once he gets to campus, but uh, a good get for Penn State to close out a pretty good class of 2023. Yeah, like I mentioned, uh, we were there. Blue White Illustrated was on hand for Chimney Ono's uh, recruitment announcement. You can check out the replay of the live stream that we had earlier today here on the YouTube channel. And you can check out our breaking news video where we get into some of those details that Greg just brought up. So make sure you subscribe to Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube and you hit the notification button because when when news breaks, it, it's just it's what it sounds like. The dam breaks. There's a flood of information. and You want to make sure you're up to date with all of that. If you're watching here on uh, the Mailbag Show, please like the video. Always helps us with uh, the eternal fight against the almighty algorithm. Always appreciate that. And, uh, you know, if you're listening on our podcast version and you want to get your question on the Mailbag Show, the best way to do that, our featured question each week, is a five-star question from uh, the Apple Podcasts, you just have to submit a five-star review, and in the comment section, put your question, and we'll get to it at the top of the show. Uh, we're going to get to wrestling in a little bit, but let's get to that right now. Let's get to our BWI mailbag, and uh, I may have deleted... No, there it is. Here we go. You can ignore the Nate part. It's Greg here today. Uh, the best way to get your questions on the show, either the five-star Apple Podcast review or the most streamlined way and the traditional way the way that the majority of our questions are on the show is the blue white illustrated mailbag submission thread at the lion's den you have to be a premium content member which means you need to sign up for blue white illustrated 29.99 for now until the start of football season so a great deal all of that content we do a mailbag each week your questions featured on the show um, so let's get to some of those. I did not have time to put them in a, uh, con a coherent order, so we're going a little bit scattershot. Greg is a pro, and he's done this before, so I don't think it'll throw him off too much. But our first question here is from Mal350. Um, says some nice stuff about the podcast. Always appreciate that. His question here is, do you think the coaching staff will prioritize developing Drew Aller's dual threat abilities this offseason? Will we see design quarterback runs as part of the playbook in 2023? Now, he says prioritize developing those uh, those dual threat abilities. Do you think that that's going to be strength? That goes right to strength and conditioning, what's happening right now, Greg. Do you think that's on the mind of Chuck Losey and Mike Yersich? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that it's important to remember that Chuck Losey comes from the tree of Dwight Galt, obviously the Penn State strength coach who was here when James Franklin got here and was here until retiring uh, before last season. So my point in bringing that up is if you ever listen to Dwight Galt talk and Chuck Losey doesn't have as many opportunities to discuss these things as Dwight did over his, what, I guess, eight, nine years at Penn State, whatever it was. Um, I think it's important to remember that they always emphasized whether it was, you know, whoever was under center for Penn State emphasize developing the full package and whether yeah. that's arm strength whether that's leg strength whether that's speed and conditioning 
whether it's, you know, anything you can think of uh, in terms of what you want out of a quarterback that needs to play high level Big Ten football in 2023. They're focused on doing that and they know what needs to improve, which of those areas needs to be emphasized, which of those areas just needs to stay where it's at, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think that the simplest way to answer this question is that, yes, uh, Penn State's going to have a plan to make sure that. Anyway, Mike Yersich wants to run its his offense, it will be able to do that. So, yeah, I, I don't know if, you know, I don't think Drew Aller is going to turn into, a, you know, some kind of mega runner overnight or in the course Great. of runoff season or ever. Uh, but certainly he, he, he will be asked to do some stuff in that regard. And there's no doubt I think that he'll be able to take care of that when he's asked to. Yeah, and I think the way James Franklin talked about him this year when we saw him in games was – he kept the ball enough to be a threat. And I think that's going to be the value of his read option game next year is just to keep the defense honest and to provide a spark in the run game. Because we saw even last season, Sean Clifford wasn't keeping the ball a dramatic number of times in the read option game. And uh, that's all you really need is just enough to slow the defensive end down and, and give them the opportunity, the running back and the, the offensive line, the opportunity to open up some holes without the unblocked defender in pursuit. So as long as it's a threat every game, maybe two or three times, maybe five, I think that's enough. So it's an underrated uh, part of his game, and I think it's a good question to start us off here. Um, we're going to go to Zach. Here's a simple question, Greg. Simple que He says, simple question, stock up or stock down for Penn State's offense as a whole this season and why uh, he wants he wants it on record before spring practice, which I will then go and scrub this show from the internet if I'm wrong. Yeah. No, I don't think there's any way you can choose anything but stock up at this point, T. Frank. I mean, you're getting to in, into the Penn State offense what many believe is going to be an upgraded quarterback. No obvious offense to Sean Clifford, but Drew Aller comes with high five-star hopes and abilities. So you think you're getting an upgrade there. You return the Big Ten freshman of the year and a very good, obvious classmate of his in Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen. You were able to make some uh, upgrades to the wide receiver room during the offseason and have the ability to, uh, you would think, with uh, Marcus Hagens now here and some uh, guys like Keandre Lambert Smith and other returning, you know, you are going to obviously have to wait to see if one or two or three of those guys can try and match the level of production as your one, two, or three receiver that Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley did. But guess what? Someone's going to have to step up and do it, whether it's a transfer, yeah. whether it's a returner. So I think. At very least, you should see similar production there. It may take a couple weeks to get to that point. I know it's not the necessarily easiest start to the schedule, but uh, they're, they're, these guys are high-level uh, recruits and players for a reason, and they're going to have to figure that out. Uh, as we've talked about, I think on the last time I was on with you, maybe a week or two ago, you look at the offensive line. It's the first time that in a long time, if ever in the James Franklin era, that it's being viewed as a bona fide strength entering a new season, and you return three veterans at tight end. So – I don't know how you could possibly look at this and say it's stock down. It's there's too, too many weapons back, too many interesting pieces that are being added to the puzzle. A new receivers coach, and that's, you know, again, nothing against Taylor Stubblefield, but we'll see what Marcus Higgins can do with this group. Yeah. And then Mike Yersich back for year three. We spent an entire offseason last year talking about what year two of Mike Yersich and the consistency that him being back would bring to this offense. Well, it applies to year three, too. So uh, put it on record. I will gladly be uh, willing to go back and revisit this if I end up being wrong come the middle of the fall. But it would be surprising to me, I'm sure you and many other people, if this offense isn't better in 2023 than it was in 2022. 
Yeah, I would say that even switching quarterbacks going from a veteran to a new starter, even if it were even, I think that's a win. Um, and I understand that Drew Aller and the, the, the hope that he represents, there's going to be a lot of um, maybe disappointment if they don't take a massive quantum leap forward. But even if it, I would say stock up and it's just a little bit of stock up because of the things you mentioned. Uh, the receivers, how quickly can Dante Cephas integrate into the offense? Can he get some work done in the weight room this offseason to be that Big Ten caliber guy? I think he's Big Ten caliber right now. And this is kind of what I said in his film room. Physically, he can compete at the Big Ten level. That's not the question is, can he be uh, a standout at the Big Ten level? And I think that there's more for him to give if he gets bigger, faster and stronger which is kind of the point of going to a, the next level for coming from Kent State, from a Mac school to, to a Power 5 school, is to get those resources. So there's always things that have to work themselves out, right? There's machinations of the spring practice that have to work out. Injury luck has to be a part of this conversation. But they have enough that I think you're not backsliding at any one position. Even if you stand pat or you're in the similar vicinity, similar zip code at receiver, I think that's a big bonus um, that they didn't lose a step there and right. getting Cephas and McLean in that, in that room to give options for the quarterback. And you mentioned the tight ends. This team should run through that position for a good bit of next year. Tight end running back should be what they lean on with a young quarterback anyway. Um, so I think stock up for sure, but are we talking the uh, exponential curve or are we talking just a steady stock up? I think it's better for just steady progress throughout uh, the spring and summer heading into the fall. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. And that leads us into PSU Ram's question. He says, for as much potential as we know Drew Aller has... Should we still expect him to need a game or two to adjust? At what point is he going to need to be really in command of the Penn State offense right out of the gates against West Virginia by Illinois or Iowa? Or do you think we'll need to ease him into things and get him uh, a strong running game and uh, D so that he doesn't have to be uh, having to kick thing? Uh, uh, I'm having a hard time reading this here at the end. But basically, do you want to have everything supporting him around him uh, to start the year? What, what do you think about the timeline for Drew Aller and when he needs to really hit his stride as a starter. If yeah, he is the starter, by the way. You right. Know, yeah. So I mean, I, right. Yeah. I know. I just look at it as T Frank is a situation where he got his feet wet this year as a backup at Penn state, earning the number two job. So he is not, he is a first year starting quarterback. He is no longer a first year player. And in fact, by the middle to end of the season, uh, he was no longer at that point. So yeah. I, I just look at this question and think to myself that are we going to maybe get overextended on the Drew Aller hype train and Penn State offense hype train by September? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. 
However, I would note that when you look at what he was able to accomplish in year one, uh, year two is a natural progression to the field. We see players come into an offense as uh, true freshmen and make a, a dramatic impact right away. So I don't think it's unreasonable to expect Drew Aller to have full command of this offense uh, as soon as they open things up at West Virginia. Now, am I saying he's going to come out on the first four drives and throw four 90-yard touchdown passes? No. I mean, could he? Sure. But you know, ultimately, I think that the fact he knows Mike Yersich's system, the fact that he knows all of the uh, major players around him for the most part, and he has a connection with most of them, you know, even though he was not the starter last year and didn't always play uh, with the first team when he was put into the game. Sometimes they rotated some other guys in for obvious reasons uh, at the point at that point in those contests. But I think certainly, you know, Penn State is going to try and come out and impress when it takes on West Virginia in the opener. And then, yeah, they have a very difficult test at Illinois uh, shortly thereafter. So I think by that game, yeah, you're going to be expecting him to be fully locked in, fully ready to go, able to lead a team on the road in the Big Ten. And, you know, I don't think it's unfair to to think otherwise that that's the expectation and that is what fans and, and certainly I would imagine inside the program, outside of it, uh, are going to expect. Illinois is a really good defense. I don't know if they'll be as good. That The question is always, can they replace great talent when they have it? And they had a lot of really good talent on that roster. Brett Bielema's defense has was really hard to play the last couple of seasons. And they do things that... Um, just force you into some tough decisions as a quarterback. They can disguise coverage well. They can play. They played a lot of man coverage this past season. They were locked down corners. So I think he's got to be sharp in that game. So week three, if you want me to put a, a week on it of where I think he has to absolutely play well and be a part of the the winning formula, I, you know, I don't know as much about what West Virginia has, truthfully, but that would be when you start Big Ten play. It has Lance Dixon, T. Frank. We know that. <laughs> That's right. Good old Lance Dixon. Um, and put Mamalba now as well. So we know two of what they have. Yes. Yeah. And Rodney Gallagher as a freshman. We'll see how he, if he can contribute to that offense. And uh, Caden Prather. So they've got some good players, right? So we just rattled off a couple good players that they got through either the transfer portal, recruiting, or uh, otherwise. Um, but that Illinois game is where I would, I would circle it. And don't forget, this is important too. He has now been on campus for 13 months right now, and that's a huge thing. He's been through as an early enrollee spring uh, practice, and once again, you know, we're talking presumably he's the starter, um, and all indications will be that he is, right? I just don't I, I want to throw some respect to Bo Perbula that he is also a quality quarterback that is going to make it unbelievably hard for Drew Aller to win the starting job because he is also a very smart player with a lot of good tools, but obviously everyone's excited about the arm strength, the size, all that stuff. Um, the team should be what you saw last year with different dynamics, right? I think that's kind of what we're expecting of a, a strong running team. And Mike Yersich, if you look back at how uh, how they he's run the ball in the, in the past, like he also wants to establish a good ground attack to then play action, RPO. That's how you create these explosive plays in, in some senses is to just you create so much easy access throws if you have a good run game that teams have to worry about. It makes it easier on the quarterback. And then the designs that he comes up with in the passing game there's more time if you're focused on the running game and play action and things like that, less pressure on the quarterback and bigger windows. So those are all things that are going to help him along. Um, but yeah, I'm pathologically conservative when it comes to these young quarterbacks, but I think that I need to start opening up a little bit more to the idea that this is going to be a good offense and they, 
they just always seem to struggle out of the gate, Greg. Like, no matter yeah. what, it seems like without a preseason and it's just training camp, these offenses, veteran or not, have struggled to come out and, and start fast in a season. Well, and Penn State's offense, to be fair, has started slow in a lot of different games, you know, over the last couple of years. So it's a fair point just in general. But, yeah, I'm just on the I'm at the point now where he's been here 13 months to your point. So he's going to be here about 20 by the time the season starts. And when it really comes down to it, he got enough experience. And I know not as much as a lot of people would have liked, but enough experience to me uh, to be ready to take this thing out of the gate from the start. Well, he didn't start in 20 uh 22 so he didn't get enough experience by by far for some people that there was a zero there, there was zero negotiation he had to start uh for him to get enough experience we're going to get to the second question here and a couple of different questions that we have uh because there's 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 a couple of different ways we can address the offensive line the first place this is a great question for our reporter here to do some research when was the last time penn state signed four four-star offensive linemen in the same class this is from poncho we did some digging and this is a really interesting topic what did you it find? is yeah if you want to stump your friends at trivia or over your next tailgate or what have you uh this is a good one so you have to go back to the class of 2015 and it's not even it's accurate but it's a little bit disjointed because penn state signed just three high school four-star offensive tackles this class of 2023 has four high school offensive tackles but penn state had four overall four-star offensive tackles in that class with Paris mm -hmm. Palmer, Sterling Jenkins, Ryan Bates, and Steven Gonzalez. And, you know, Steven Gonzalez obviously was a interior offensive lineman. I'm, yeah, let me rephrase that. We're talking about offensive linemen overall, not just tackles. But uh, so Paris Palmer, of course, coming out of the junior college ranks was assigned a four-star rating out of Lackawanna. So technically speaking, four four-stars signed in that class along the offensive line. But in terms of four high school four-star offensive linemen, uh, you, I, I'm not sure when it happened last. It, I don't think it's in the modern era of recruiting. I think that's the yeah. agreed upon phrase we came to, T. Frank. Yeah. And uh, certainly, certainly, I think that this is something that should be uh, celebrated by Penn State and its fans because, again, we talked a lot over the years and certainly uh, over the last couple of seasons about how to win at the level Penn State and its fans want to win at. You need to win at the tr in the trenches. And specifically, uh, you know, at offensive tackle and then inside as well. So uh, certainly a lot to like here as you build toward the future. You know, are these guys going to be day one contributors? Probably not. But as we've seen, uh, you know, there are in the last couple of seasons, there have been Penn State signees along the offensive line like Drew Shelton that have come in early. Landon Tangwell is another example and made an impact. Yeah, the closest I got was 2002, where you had three four-star offensive linemen. And uh, some of the names you'll remember, Levi Brown, Mark Ferris, and Brian Burgoyne. So for all the throwback that love, love the, hey, that guy, I remember that guy, uh, that'd be the closest you got in. Uh, and then before then, it, you know, it's just such a radically different recruiting history right like things are just so very different that it's probably right. hard to make a modern comparison to what they got uh to today or this this cycle let's go on to this question from david wg he says tangwall is 100 healthy next year presumably uh in his in his scenario and everyone is back also healthy how good can this offensive line be can this be a top five in college football top 10 where do you see them landing if everything breaks health wise and everyone is there uh contributing yeah, so I guess the the question here is let's define top five or top ten because there are a number of different ways you can do it. Are you going off yeah. of PFF stats? Are you going off of simply sacks allowed and yards gained? Are you going off of 
the Joe Moore Award semifinalist and finalist and ultimate winner? You know, what is your criteria here is probably uh, one way to slice this question. But I mean, to me, there's no reason. And I'll just go with the Joe Moore Award at this point, because I know that, you know, when you start getting into numbers and statistics and you can poke cases in that, and you can poke cases in this award, too. There's no question about it. But yeah. when you look at the over the last handful of years and really since the thing started, uh, you know, most productive offensive lines by pretty much any metric are the ones that make this list. And it's usually not always, but usually pretty widely agreed upon as our last questioner asked uh, related to Michigan. They've obviously been in this conversation and won it uh, previously. The Joe Moore award, of course, goes to the nation's best offensive line. So in the conversation, yes. Am I ready to put it on the pedestal of top three or likely to win that award this year? Not yet, but yeah. you return a top 10 offensive tackle. You have a player in Hunter Norzad who's moving to center, so you're starting fresh there, but we've seen with Juice Scruggs, that's doable. You have Sal Wormley back. You have Drew Shelton back. You have Caden Wallace back, Landon Tangwall, and you have some young guys who are going to push really hard for playing time. So, you know, I, I don't think there's any reason. To, I think top 10 is fair. I really do. And obviously, if Penn State's winning and the offensive line is not playing maybe as well statistically as we think it should be, then obviously it'll get probably bumped up. And same in the reverse, if it's playing better, but the team's not having as much success, it'll be looked at the other way. But top 15, top 10 to me feels uh, fair, T. Frank. When you have a top 10, possibly top five left tackle, uh, it would be, I think, yeah. fairly disappointing if you ended up anywhere lower than that at the level Penn State's playing at. Yeah, and I, I think if you start from left to center, I have uh, I it, again we're saying Landon Tangwall is 100 healthy. We still haven't seen what he is as a football player in that scenario. So, uh, but I'm still very high on his abilities. I think what I said before this uh, coming season is absolutely still true for next season. That if you've got those two guys healthy next to each other, Landon Tangwall and Ola Fashinu, uh, you have one of the best offensive line left sides potentially in the Big Ten. And then for the right side, how that works out, the depth and competition should be there that there are no weaknesses. And once you're at that point, then you can start to have the conversation of, well, how good is this is this offensive line? How much are they contributing to the offense as a whole? And I think that's a that's kind of a a where I would go with that. Um, I don't think I would put him in the top ten just yet, just because of those questions. Kind of, with well, I wouldn't put him there. The reality yet, of the health. Yeah, I wouldn't put him there yet, but I think they have the possibility to play at that level. Yeah, I should probably clarify that. But can they be yeah. there? Yes. Are they there going into the season? I would say probably not. When Phil Steele releases his, you know, Bible of football news and his, you know, his annual summer magazine, and he ranks all the positions. Obviously, not an end-all, be-all, but certainly a great resource. I, I don't think we'll see them in the top ten. Probably not. Maybe not even in the top fifteen. But can they finish there if everything goes according to plan? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair thing to imagine not guarantee uh but certainly imagine if everything goes according to plan we'll go here to uh kreiner similar question kind of more in the specifics there how do you feel about the inside of the offensive line norzad moving to center warmly being shaky this year and tangle not playing a full uh season to his ability an obvious talent he wants me to make him feel better about the offensive line he wants you to make him feel better about the offensive line you just said they can be a top 10 class the reality some of the issues they're working through um, how do you see the positive side of that coming out for this group? 
Well, I think there's a couple of things here. Number one, what does that competition uh, result in inside? You know, is Hunter Nord, is that definitely the guy at center? Can he do all the things that you need to do to play it at a high level? I think that's obviously and, and certainly number one uh, is the glue of the offensive line, which he is going to be expected to be. So, you know, I think that you start there, T. Frank, and you have to say that, We've heard a lot of good things about him from teammates and coaches, but until you see it in action, I think he had, what, like 12 snaps at 17 snaps, something like that at center this year. So yeah. certainly not enough of a, a point of reference to work off of to say that this is a surefire guaranteed uh, thing that's going to work for Penn State. But an experienced guy who's played a lot of football, certainly uh, before he got to Penn State and now at Penn State. So I think you feel good there. I think you feel good about Warmly. And then with Tangwall, obviously, you have to wait and see where he's at and can yeah. he improve a little bit. And I think all aspects of his game uh, from what we saw over just the, well, I think, believe, believe it was a five game sample uh, that we saw out of him uh, this season. So, you know, if you want to feel good about the interior of the offensive line, again, you're not breaking in in all likelihood brand new faces there. Is one going to yeah. be playing a new position? Yes. Uh, and could someone like Vega beat out somebody for a job inside? Sure. Um, but, you know, I think that. If you want to feel good about it, you're not working with the unknown, really, at this point. Are you working with things that need to be improved for these players in this line to be its best? Yes. Uh, but yeah. if you're looking for a silver lining, that's one. But to your point, yeah. as you've made now a couple times, T. Frank, uh, there's stuff to work on. There's no question about it. I, I would say the the part about the left guard position is J.B. Nelson. We haven't mentioned him yet. Right. Uh, a very talented football player and – you know, Landon Tangwell is not guaranteed a starting spot. I guess that's why I would say that's the main thing I would say in what you kind of just said as well of th that interior. If you don't perform, there's a number of guys that have talent. So you can mix and match and find the best five. And if you get to six or seven guys and you want to rotate somebody and it's I know you hate that, but if they're genuinely good enough. Um, right. And you can put guys in certain situations. Drew Shelton uh, steps up and is worthy of playing time behind Caden Wallace at that right tackle position. You have the ability to mix and match, mix and match talent that I think yeah. is a really, uh, really f uh, fun and exciting. If you like putting together those things and playing mock GM or mock head coach. Uh, we we're not going to get through everything today because we got to get to some wrestling. So I apologize. We'll get to some of this in the next mailbag edition. But one last thing that uh, Ryan Snyder talked about this yesterday on uh, the show, and I wanted to get your thoughts about this. He talked about most of the defensive tackles, the good defensive tackles to take this to the next level, this recruiting process on the D line. They live in the South and John right. Ashley watched the show and he wants to know what does it take to get those guys to Penn State? How do you get them out of the South and how do you have them uh, both Dion Barnes and John Scott Jr. recruit the South the way uh, Jaywan Sider has and bringing, you know, quality running backs north. So what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things. Look, let's just read off real quick now at the class of 2023. And not all these guys are going to be interior guys, but just for the sake of a quick look and a conversation. I mean, when you look at the top 10, you have Texas A&M, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Oregon, Florida, Tennessee, uh, Miami, Ohio State, Auburn, and Alabama listed there. So, I mean, there's not really a whole lot of guesswork involved here. Obviously, Ohio State's yeah. played at a high level over a number of years, as has Oregon. But for the most part, we're talking about Southern guys going to Southern schools, and you can't beat geography. I mean, you can in some instances, but – I mean, I, I would just, it's simple. You win, you know, these guys are going for the most part to schools that 
have produced college football playoff appearances and or conference titles and or, uh, you know, strong ability to at least get in that conversation, which, of course, Penn State has to some degree as well. But, you know, you got to beat Michigan. You got to beat Ohio State. You got to find your way into that Big Ten title and college football playoff realm. And you might get lucky without doing that and land a guy or two that we're talking about here. But, you know, a guy like I mean, I look at this list and the only one. Uh, you know, you have a Texas player, two from Alabama, Florida, California, and the California kid went to Oregon. Uh, Alabama, North Carolina, that's David Hobbs. He went to Tennessee. Uh, Jason Moore, of course, Penn State fans know him, uh, the yep. Amatha Catholic kid who is going to Ohio State. I mean, you know, I, I don't really think there's any big secret here. And I don't, I mean, you can do a lot of work as a recruiter, and these guys will. There's no doubt about it. And there's no question they're putting the work in. But sometimes it's just the results and you yeah. got to be able to produce them on the field before you can produce them in the recruiting at some position, especially when you're talking about top level guys that are really highly coveted, which for the most part, I mean, if you look at the top 10 of the defensive linemen listed here, uh, they're all inside the top 65 in the country. And yeah. that's not easy to and then the bottom uh, you know, falls easy out, to pick right? those guys out. Right. I mean, they, right. They, you're, you're battling everyone across the country for those guys. So, you know, a lot of times you're going to lose out to you know, either programs that have produced a lot or in some cases, uh, NIL situation. So yeah. it's not, I don't think a big mystery or, you know, I don't think there's one, uh, you know, obvious thing that you can just turn the switch on and make work differently. Uh, you just got to produce on the field. And a lot of the times the recruits will come with it. Yeah. It is surprising that, uh, John Scott Jr. This is this is one of the reasons I assumed he was hired. He's from South Carolina. He coached at South Carolina. He coached at Arkansas before that. I was just kind of looking up some of the, his facts in his bio, and he has a lot of Southern roots and Southern ties through his his life, his coaching career, all of that stuff. So um, it's as you just pointed out, it's just really hard. And um, as much as he's had successes, I do think that it's fair to point out that this is one area where he had a guy like Javon Kinlaw at, at uh, South Carolina who went as a top 15 pick in the NFL draft at defensive tackle. That's hard to do. That's hard to be that athletic and, and be that guy. And I don't know that it's worked out fully for the 49ers the way they expected with Kinlaw, but he, he was that talented. And uh, maybe it just takes one guy, right? It, sometimes a recruiting run just takes one guy. The well, dividends mind, of Mike Kinlaw Parsons was, is helpful. Yeah, yeah, and Kinlaw too was not. I mean, when you go back to him as a recruit and you look at you know what he was as a recruit, uh, obviously a pretty well sought after guy, uh, but he also was in South Carolina, and you know it goes back yeah. to kind of the the Javen Williams phenomenon. Phenomena. I mean, yeah, he was right in Penn State's backyard. And was that the only reason Penn State got him? No, but it helped. Uh, and I'm sure it helped uh, South Carolina and that recruitment to be in a similar place with Kinlaw, too. Uh, that'll do it for the mailbag today. Once again, uh, we're going to get to some of the other questions we had here on a, on a future episode of the mailbag. But we have to get to wrestling because uh, last week. BJC duels, Penn State, Iowa, huge game or huge uh, duel meet. Penn State wins that one. I, I think, was that more convincing than you were expecting or did it go about how you thought? Because the result felt pretty uh, decisive uh, when you look at the final score. Yeah, I mean, two big things there, a little bit more decisive than I thought. One, I'm not really sure anyone saw Roman Bravo Young getting a pin at uh, 133 pounds. It, it wasn't out of the question, but it didn't necessarily feel guaranteed going into the match. So you got more points there and you probably expect it. And then Abasad didn't wrestle for Iowa against Aaron Brooks at 184 pounds. So the Nittany Lions were able to 
get a little bit more there than I think they probably assume they would have or could have going into the match. So, yeah, you know, when you look at some of the predictions that many had across, uh, you know, the national and local media landscape before the, the match, you saw some that, you know, maybe predicted Penn State to win by the margin that it did, but maybe not the way that it did. So I thought it was a good effort. Uh, you know, were there some matches they probably would have liked to score some more points in? Sure, but they're wrestling really good kids. Uh, they're going to do that against Ohio State again this week. So, you know, you're not always going to blow the other team out. I know the final score looks good, but, you know, th- this was a tight dual meet pretty much as expected. Maybe not as close as expected, but, you know, you're not always going to get the big bonus point runs that Penn State wrestling is known for uh, when you're wrestling the number two team in the country, which Iowa is, even though Penn State, again, won pretty convincingly. Yeah, and it was uh, another record-breaking crowd on television as well, so another marquee feather in the cap for the sport. Uh, Coming up this weekend at Ohio State at Indiana, head coach Kale Sanderson spoke earlier this week. You can check out his press conference. We'll have that posted for you tomorrow, Thursday, that is, on uh, the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. What did he say? What came out of that that you found interesting? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things, T. Frank. Number one being that when you look at uh, what Kale Sanderson was asked to talk about this week, one topic that came up was 125 pounds, and Marco Vespa wrestled for Penn State against Iowa, but Gary Steen did not. Uh, Kale Sanderson indicating that he was hurt at the Michigan State match and apparently just needed some time off, but he's back at practice. So it sounds like he'll be back in the lineup for Penn State at 125 pounds. He's 5-9 and nine on the year. And when you look at his matchup this week, and he's going to draw uh, Malik Heinzelman, who's the number 10 wrestler in the country. So another tough matchup for the unranked Nittany Lion. Um, we heard a little bit more about Levi Haynes and that everyone was on board, including Haynes and his family, to pull his red shirt, which is why Penn State did that against Iowa. And obviously he's going to be the Lions guy at 157 moving forward. So, you know, those are the big takeaways. It's a tough weekend for Penn State in the Big Ten. You're going to have at least one weekend where you host two Big Ten teams and one weekend where you go on the road to face uh, two Big Ten teams. That's just how this part of the year works. Penn State going on the road this weekend. Ohio State will be much more challenging than Indiana. Uh, The Buckeyes ranked number five in the country. Penn State, of course, unanimous number one. So we'll see how it plays out for them. But Uh, You know, again, they're going to go into this match just like almost every other one over the last however many they've won in a row. I want to say it's in the 30s or something along those lines. I don't have it in front of me at the moment, but obviously a long, successful dual meet streak ongoing for Kales Anderson in this program. And it won't be expected to end Friday night in Columbus. Yeah. Do you have any early thoughts on that? I know that you usually have something on Friday to get people ready for it and primed that you can see at bluewhiteillustrated.com. Anything you want to go over, share here quickly? Yeah, I mean, we're going to have a top 10 match at 133 pounds between two guys who just this week shared the Big Ten co-wrestler of the week of the world. That's Jesse Mendez and Roman Bravo Young from Ohio State and Penn State, of course, respectively. Mendez is a young guy. He's not going to be expected to beat uh, Roman Bravo Young, but that's going to be an interesting top 10 matchup. I'm expecting RBY to be ready to roll for that. At 149 pounds, Steve Frank, Shane Van Ness gets a shot at number three, Sammy Sasso. Another chance for him uh, to continue to try and raise his profile he continues i think to improve each week and this is another chance for him especially in a road environment uh to continue to show that he has all american ability which he has at times this year but you know again each week's a learning uh process for him and every other member of this team it's all one big step and march toward the big 10 tournament and and ultimately the national tournament so you don't want to hang up too much on the results right now because as we know the plan for Penn State wrestlers and for Kale Sanderson is to get them to peak in March. So another 
another good chance for Shane Van Ness to step another, uh, you know, step down that road, for lack of a better way uh, to put it. You know, at 165 pounds, Alex Facundo is going to get Carson. Uh, I mess this name up every time. Karchla. Uh, and that's a nine <laughs> versus 10 matchup. Nittany Lion just outranking the Buckeye. That's going to be another marquee matchup here. And I think that, again, just same thing with Shane Van Ness, Alex Facundo, a guy learning each week, uh, trying to continue to improve and, and earn more marquee victories like he's had earlier this year. You're going to get Ethan Smith and Carter Storacci at 174. That's a top six matchup there. Caleb Romero and Aaron Brooks is a top five matchup at 184 pounds. Uh, and look, uh, Ohio State is ranked up and down the lineup. Now, do I think Penn State is going to win this match by double digits? I do, T. Frank. I don't have the final scoring prediction done yet as we sit here on Wednesday. Like you mentioned, we'll have that out Friday at BlueWayIllustrated.com. But I like the way this sets up for Penn State. There's going to be a lot of ranked matches, a lot of what appear to be close matches on paper. But I think ultimately Penn State has some advantages in a couple of weight classes that will lead to both bonus points and an opportunity to make this match a little bit more uncontested than what it might look like on paper. Greg Pickle spitting facts in the mailbag here with wrestling and about football. One of the most versatile people on the staff. Greg, thanks so much for all your work today. T. Frank, always a pleasure, buddy. Uh, happy National Second Signing Day to you. <laughs> I am excited that we can close the book on the class of 2023 and focus fully yeah. on 2024 and beyond. Obviously, as everyone knows, Penn State's been doing that for quite some time now. But it's always fun when you can say a signing class is in the books. There's no more work to do in the high school ranks. We'll see what they do with the portal in May. But another cycle behind us, buddy. So we're moving yep. on officially into 2024 and beyond. And there's already some recruiting prediction machine picks in from Sean yep. and from uh, Ryan over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. So it hasn't stopped. It's just going to uh, pick up even more. So with that in mind, once again, subscribe, bluewhiteillustrated.com. If you're listening to the Mailbag Show, you want to get your questions on Apple Podcasts, five-star review, plus your comment gets you automatically on the show. We'll get to uh, the Mailbag thread next week as well, and some more stuff. There's just so much stuff I could tell you about. There's not enough time to promote everything. But coming up tomorrow, an exciting thing that we have for you, an exclusive one-on-one -on -one interview with Chimdi Ono with Ryan Snyder that he did when he was down there in Maryland uh, for the signing day ceremony. We've got that for you locked and loaded for Thursday so subscribe to Blue White Illustrated enable notifications so you don't miss anything because we've just got so much good stuff and you gotta be there for it I'm Thomas Frank Carr that is Greg Pickle we'll talk to you tomorrow with Fitz and Nate on the daily madness is here say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, 
Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.